0: Welcome into another episode of Turning the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am Karen Steckley. With me, as always, he's the beat writer for the Athletic, and he is such a great insider that he's even heard Matthew Boyd swear. He is Cody Stavenhagen. Cody, how you doing?
1: Whoa, whoa, whoa! It was, it was just the A word here. <laughs> Don't want to out Matthew too badly, but you know, you know, sometimes it was a little bit unexpected. Yeah.
0: He trusted you, and that's the main point. He, he said this guy's cool. Well, he probably didn't
1: think he'd now be talking about it on a podcast, but that's okay. He did not swear near as much as I swore on the golf course earlier today. Just <laughs> terrible round.
0: Well, on that note, uh, you are on somewhat of a vacation. You got time to golf, but your time has otherwise been pretty well occupied this week. The Tigers wasted very little time, Uh, making a big offseason move maybe big to you know maybe stretching a little bit but significant nonetheless offseason move Uh, back-to-back years as soon as the offseason quote-unquote starts tigers al making moves making moves so they trade for tucker barnhart and give up nick quantana did i say that right I get it?
1: Quintana, I believe. Quintana. 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 i don't have to look up pronunciation. I'm mean, going to say it's Quintana. Though.
0: Well, we don't have to worry about it too much longer because he is now a member of another organization. He is a member of the Cincinnati Reds organization. Tigers acquire a veteran catcher, one with two gold gloves to his name. And from what I can tell, highly, highly respected. Um, I, I, I kind of want to start out with this, Cody. Cause I think our listeners would appreciate it like I said you're on vacation you're kind of chilling and then this move happens and everyone on Tiger's Twitter is talking about all oh, the beat writers it seemed like kind of kind of get the word out uh, around the same time I'm not sure who had it first so forgive me uh, whoever was first to break the news but off season begins significant move is made on your beat how did that play out from your end?
1: You know, I think in order to properly tell this story, we got to we really got to go back to the big news. As listeners of the pod, no, we were recently in Las Vegas for Kieran's bachelor party. Um, we didn't ruin our lives in Las Vegas. Honestly, my main takeaway is kind of too expensive to ruin your life even if you wanted to. At least if you lose as much money gambling as I did.
0: Um, <laughs> we did ruin our voices and our sleep yes. habits.
1: <laughs> yeah big time big time so sleep habits totally ruined after uh three days in vegas and then i spend a day uh driving back from kieran's place in dallas where i flew out of to good old home base hometown of amarillo texas and where i'm staying for a little bit longer this off season and uh so i'm like all right i'm, I'm off the rest of the week i'm gonna sleep in i'm just exhausted like i'm beat and sure enough, it's like I think 10 a.m. Central Time, and the phone lights up. Someone's saying, "I'm hearing the Tigers are already making a trade."
0: A little birdie, as like, you call them, a little birdie.
1: Yeah, and it's like, w- Like, wait,
0: already? Like
1: a tr- <laughs> a trade? Like, are, are like, are you sure?" And it's a you know a pretty good source, but I'm like, "Are like really?" Uh, so I was kind of like, "What do I even?" do and it was a pretty vague tip at the start so i didn't you know didn't want to take it to a higher level source without a little more tangible idea of what might be going on so i just kind of stood there or laid there in my bed uh freaking out for a long period of time until i got a little more intel Heard it might involve tucker barnard so i start contacting some people looping our reds writer trent rosecrans a great writer and I'm trying to get like double confirmation because even, even though now it was believable, I knew Barnhart had the uh, club option. Cincinnati might be looking to move them. It was like a trade day one of the offseason. Like, are we like are we sure this is like the Detroit Tigers, like Alavila, <laughs> like this is, this is for real. And uh, sure enough, let's just say I end up texting a higher level source. And right when that person gets back to me, it seems like everyone in the world has it. So I don't know if I messed up for myself by, uh, you know, maybe, maybe asking someone who would tell others or, or whatever. I'd like to think I probably knew about it and, you know, basically reported it at the same time as like everyone else, which, uh, then just put me in a bad mood because sometimes that's how (laughs) journalism works. But anyway, at the same time, it was like, wow. All right. One day into the off season and the tigers have not only a catcher, probably the number one catcher available this offseason at least if you look at you know the type of catcher that fits the Tigers a veteran a gold glove defender uh, I would have put him at the top of my list and I would have thought if he would have hit free agency he might have gone for a little more than the Tigers would have been willing to pay based on his defensive prowess I don't know that for a fact you look at his war totals not really all that high but I think he could have commanded the 7.5 he's due, if not more, and maybe the Tigers would have been looking for a cheaper option. Instead, the Tigers solved that problem. They send a you know, a somewhat talented guy, but Quintana's not played above Class A. He's really struggled to hit in the minor leagues. Second-round pick, not really the guy they thought they were drafting, at least in terms of his offensive production. So heck of a deal. you know. We are making progress. We're making waves. I think it's another sign that, not only are things headed in the right direction, but the days of standing back and letting things happen are are pretty much over. the These tigers are here to make some moves and to build a winner and to be aggressive in doing that.
0: Well, you kind of stole my word there because I was gonna I was gonna ask you and then before first answer it myself, like define this move in one word, and my word would have been aggressive because it's day one. It's a guy that you you know what you're getting out of him, and uh, has by far the best resume of any catcher they brought in, you know, free agency or you know, trade wise, and you know, am I is, am I wrong to say Pudge? Like, just he's got two gold gloves. He's got two well, gold this, gloves. He's not. He's
1: not Pudge. No, no, no.
0: I'm not saying. I'm saying he's the most. He's got the best accolades of any catcher they brought in since Pudge.
1: Um. Yeah. In terms of bringing in. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, not, yeah. Not. not saying... Alex Seville ended up being like, having a very nice career, but he was you know came through the system. Yeah, so yeah. yes.
0: So no. You're right. So. Yeah. For the record, not comparing in the punch. I just want that. On. <laughs> want that. You're leaving stated. out
1: Bobby Wilson, man. King <laughs> of pitch framing, Bobby Mf Wilson. Let's go.
0: Bobby Wilson. Just kidding. Tiger Barnard
1: is better than Bobby Wilson. You um, know I love Bobby Wilson.
0: And. I believe you used this word in your story as well, no-brainer. And if you didn't use those specific words, it was pretty close to it. You give up a guy who um, you liked coming out of the draft, but had what has he shown you? I would say nothing really to hang your hat on. If you would have gone into the offseason saying, hey, you can give up Quinta- Quintana, Quintara, Quintana, Quintana, Quintana. Uh, you know if you can give up him and get an established catcher um at a cheaper rate than you might have otherwise would you do it is there anyone saying no to that
1: nobody anyone who says no to that is not very smart there's some people on twitter trying to seem cool and like panning like oh well barnhart was actually only worth 1.5 WAR. like barnhart's actually not that good and it's like I mean, yeah, where no one's comparing him to Pudge. If you're trying to make this seem like not a good move, you are you're trying way too hard. This is the Tigers getting probably the best catcher available this winter. That's that's a pretty big deal.
0: Not well, yes, and not only that, but like you're giving up a minor league piece in an area that you're more secure at than you, than you were when you drafted him, and it has nothing to do with his rise through the system. You know what I mean? Super so, true. Yeah. Th- th- this. Th- all the elements were in play for this to be a no-brainer move, and the Reds, according to Al, had multiple calls, and I'm not gonna try to drag good old Nick from Arizona, but uh, they're, if that was their best offer, then no one was really all that serious, I would probably say, and... Getting, being able to get him, like I said, at, at a rate that was cheaper than you probably would get on the free agency market. You have that secure. You have flexibility as well. It's kind of like the, uh, the scope extension in a way where it gives you stability and flexibility. And if you can get stability and flexibility all in one move, I mean, that's, that's a job well done by a general manager.
1: Uh, yeah, no, I I have to agree. I think this is one of Al's better moves so far in his entire tenure. And in a way, I, I put this in the story, it's kind of an easy victory lap. It was a no-brainer move. I'm not sure it took a ton of maneuvering or getting overly creative, but it was still something we hadn't really seen from the Tigers in the Avila tenure, which was going out and getting things done, like going out and getting this guy my dad was like, so how did the Tigers get him? You know, He's like, how did the Tigers get Barnard? And it's like, well, now that you mention it, I don't really know. Like, yeah, Nick Kroll said the, the Reds had multiple multiple teams interested. The The Tigers were the team they you know were able to make the deal with. He mentioned they liked Nick Quintana coming out of the draft. So maybe their scouts were a little more familiar with him than other middling prospects they might have been offered. I'm not sure. I would also gather... Chances are the Tigers were probably the most aggressive. I think they were the most aggressive as a product. Sometimes necessity is the, uh, the mother of innovation. They're backed into a corner a little bit. They needed a catcher. The catcher market, as we all know, is tough. If they really wanted to go out and get someone, as Al did say in his press conference, it might have, have to have been via trade. And uh, clearly they got on the phones and they reached a deal and they you know they made it happen. Was it the best, you know, most insane GM move ever? No, but it was a very good, smart, sensible general manager move. You get a veteran two-time gold glove catcher for at least one year, $7.5 million, relatively affordable. And if you want to extend them, you can look into doing that. If you want to let things play out, see how Jake Rogers comes back, see how Dingler, Dylan Dingler develops, you can do that too. When, you know, I don't see how that's anything but a win.
0: Yeah, it's it's everything and a win, and I really like the fact that he bats lefty. Um, that uh, gives you a nice little combination with the power that Eric Haas has at number two. Which speaking of Eric Haas, you know, Al is a guy who likes to I don't want to say mince words, but he, he he does keep things close to the vest, and he more or less said the number two catching job is Haas is to lose is, is that, were you surprised to see such a ringing endorsement given other bodies in the system and given that we're literally one day into free agency when that happened or into the off season when that happened?
1: I am not surprised that Haas is kind of the leader in the clubhouse for the backup catcher job. I was surprised that Al came out and said that, so forthright when he basically said, yeah, we we anticipate them being our catchers going into the spring. Uh, Haas obviously showed a lot of good things this past year, definitely showed he has a lot of work to do defensively, and his offense really slid off in the final 40 games of the season, and I think 204, only four home runs. Wasn't really quite the Haas, you know, guy who's out there mashing taters in July, you know, later into the season. I think he did enough to earn probably the the favorite to get that backup job, but to basically say, no, like, Haas is going to be the guy, that did surprise me. And I think the Tigers still will bring in some competition. We'll see if they tender contracts to Grayson Griner or Dustin Garneau. I think Garneau could come in and really push for that job personally. Even if it's not him, I think they'll bring in another veteran on probably a minor league deal for at the very least some depth. Um, but is this a guy who can compete with Haas for the number two spot? I would have thought so. I would have thought the Tigers would roll into spring training saying, hey, kind of open competition. We like what Haas did, but you got to earn your job. I'll big stamp of approval for Eric Haas. So, yeah, that did surprise me.
0: Who's happiest right now? Is it the the Mises of the world, the young pitching staff? Is it AJ? Uh, Is it tucker who kind of goes to a place where those elements are in place the manager and the pitcher uh pitchers and obviously they really wanted him and you know everybody wants to be in a spot in a place where they're wanted and he knew that he was probably you know not going to be in cincinnati anymore not they didn't like him but you know to go somewhere you wanted is a big one who's happiest with this transaction
1: Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I think I'd I'd probably have to say AJ Hinch. This guy made it known he wanted a catcher. And to be clear, I don't think AJ Hinch was the guy on the phones who made this deal happen. I think he absolutely made it known to his front office and ownership. Like, Hey, we have to get a legit catcher if we want to be competitive, if we want to help these young pitchers develop. But, uh, AJ was putting around on the golf course at the time this deal went down and I'm sure he was thrilled to see, hey, yeah, we got Barnhart, and to call up Barnhart from the the seventh hole of whatever course he was playing, I'm sure he was thrilled knowing he has a a veteran catcher that he can trust, a gold glove catcher, a guy known for calling a game, a guy who's checked all the boxes that A.J. has kind of laid out uh, for what he wants in a catcher. Tucker also said he's already heard from Casey Mize. He's probably going to get in touch with some of these other young pitchers. Um, I'm sure they're happy. And for Tucker Barnard himself, you know, he used the word bittersweet. I think more than once. This is a guy who's really beloved by the fan base in Cincinnati. This was the organization that drafted him. I think he had uh, deep emotional ties to the Reds. At the same time, he knew the writing was on the wall. The Reds were probably going to decline his option because Tyler Stevenson had really risen, seized kind of the probably the number one job. There's no point in having two catchers of that caliber when one of them is making seven point five mil. And the Reds, it seems like they're doing more shedding payroll than spending this off season. And at least that's the track they're on right now. Uh, so I think he's happy to number one get this over with. He doesn't have to fret all winter, perhaps through a labor stoppage. Where am I going to be yeah, playing? Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I think it's very emotional for him.
0: I was just trying to think. When was the last time the Tigers were involved in a transaction that they were sort of taking advantage of a team trying to shed payroll and not the other way around? Yeah, it's been
1: (laughs) quite some time since, uh, since Dave Dombrowski for sure. And and,
0: and Al kind of alludes to that from what I gathered. He's like, we're not like in the position. We're not going in the winter. It's it's so funny. I love reading his words. I don't know how he is to like physically like watch and like engage and you know question or whatever. But I love reading his words because he'll kind of give you what's actually happening and then he'll pull back and be like, "Yeah, but you know, we've always done this." So the example today well, was exactly like the the example today or uh this week was I mean, we've been Working out of Lakeland, you know, all off, you know, is you know before this offseason begins and trying to make moves for the same way for the past twenty one years. Also, this time around, we're not trying to trade veteran players and uh, <laughs> and, and we're trying to build a winning team in two thousand twenty two. That's as aggressive as he could possibly be, like words wise. That's aggressive as he could possibly be with this team right now. Like, obviously the team improved and you know you make more aggressive moves whatever but like given the past several years this is almost a new language that he's speaking although they've done this it the same way for the past 21 years so, so <laughs> I just love he did that with the scouting um, department changes where it's like we're not doing this but we're moving in this direction but we're not gonna we're not gonna stop doing it this way I just I just find it entertaining. I don't know.
1: Yeah, that's that's very much what it's like talking to Al. And I think he was uh, loyal listeners might know, you know, earlier I'd asked him uh, in the year if they were interested in uh, extending Jonathan Scope. And he kind of said, well, you know, that's a good question, but I can't answer that right now. Wink, wink. And It was kind of understood. And so this time I was like, because I was legitimately curious, like, is this Barnhart thing a one year deal? Or are you guys already talking about, hey, let's make this a two year, three year thing? And I knew he wouldn't be able to answer that, but I'm like, my readers are asking me, I, I need a quote for my story about that. So I again, ask knowing that he couldn't say anything, and, but he didn't, he didn't give the wink wink. He seemed a little <laughs> more perturbed this time. He was like, look, we just got the deal done. Like, we're not going to go into that yet. I was like, well, dude, like, I don't know. You picked up a guy on a one year option. I, I tend to think that you might like to keep him around for a couple of years But once I did start thinking about it, I think letting it play out, uh, there are a lot of advantages to that. Just see how things go this year. See, you know, if the Tigers say they totally flop, say they are way out of it in July, maybe you maybe you do look into trading Barnhart. You know, I don't think that's ideal, but uh, I think there are probably some advantages into not rushing to ink him to an extension tomorrow.
0: No, yeah, I think it's one hundred percent the right move to keep things steady where they are right now because like you said you do have like a dingler in the system and you just want to see how he does you know in the minors and uh you know he did invest a second round pick in him and there were some nice returns early in this year and then he got hurt and you know had some struggles and he's got to learn how to be you know play catcher and that's fine but also you know maybe you've the price changes a little bit in your favor if, if you wait till next year and he just, and you know, Tucker just falls in love and you know, and he'll be 31, 32, or whatever. And he's not necessarily looking to break the bank. I mean, there's, but I will say this there's no way you make this trade without at least like projecting. It's like there's a timeline where we ink him to a two year extension. There's a timeline where we give him a one-year-plus-player option or, you know, whatever. Like, you don't make a move like this, in my opinion, when you have nothing but uncertainty behind him. Because if we're talking about things that could flame out, Haas could flame out, you know? Oh, Jake, yeah. Jake, you. Jake Rogers could, you know, come back from Tommy John and the hitting question, like, it's just like two years ago, you know? And, and Dingler never pl- pans out. So I think you make a move like this knowing that you have the possibility of extension. Like, it's not like you're acquiring a 38-year-old catcher. You're acquiring a 30-year-old catcher. I don't know exactly when his birthday is. He might turn 31 by the time the season starts. But principle still applies. 31 in January, I think. 31 in January. So you definitely make that move knowing that that's something you could do and would be comfortable doing, in my opinion. Uh, You got to hear from him. Which, I mean, they got to hear from Al, got to hear from uh, from Tucker. Uh, what were your impressions of, of Tucker himself?
1: Yeah, here's another thing. Before we had even confirmed the deal, um, our Reds writer for the Athletic, Trent Rosecrans, was like, if this ends up being true, you were a lucky MFR. Uh, and he went <laughs> on to rave about how much he loves Tucker, what a great interview Tucker is, how insightful he is. Um, and I went on to hear that from a couple other people in the game that he's a guy who's who's easy to talk to, who's very knowledgeable. You could sense that even in his introductory press conference. I mean, this guy knows the ropes. He's been doing this for a while. He has a great rapport with pitchers. He's known as a great game caller. Uh, and he definitely carried himself as kind of that poised catcher that most good teams have. That guy who can sit there and, yes, number one, handle the game, number two, handle the post game interviews, number three handle the young guys in the clubhouse, whether it's uh, other young catchers trying to establish themselves, whether it's Casey Mize, Matt Manning, Tarek Scuble, Uh he, de- he definitely is already projecting the presence of a guy who is going to be somewhat of a leader for this team. And I think that's another thing that probably shouldn't be overlooked. Like The Tigers are starting to acquire some dudes who know what's up, you know, Robbie Grossman, Jonathan Scope, Tucker Barnard. These guys are pros. These guys aren't, uh, they're not scrubs. They're not rookies. They're not bitter veterans. Like these are guys who know what's up, who carry themselves very well on and off the field. I think there's a little bit to be said for that.
0: Well, they're young enough to still be starters and good players on good teams, but they're also old enough to know like, I'm not trying to waste any time here, you know, and I, and I think that's an important thing for a team that's trying to go on the up. Uh, one of the things that stood out to me in your story, Cody, which time for the athletic plug. If you're not an athletic subscriber, you should be. You get all this insight. Uh, subscribe. Subscribe. Please. Well, one of the things, Cody, in your story that I really enjoyed, and it really kind of made me pause and, and think, You know deeply on it is you had mentioned like the strong presence of the human element in uh, in catching. Now we have analytics to measure catchers. You know pitch framing and you know all the defensive metrics and you know all that stuff. You don't have to go into it, but there's a lot there still. And also you got to call pitches. You got to know batter tendencies. You got it's a very analytical position. The most analytical position you're calling games. Uh, That's not really breaking news. Knowing what to call, especially with shifts, I mean, that's a whole other thing. But there's still a human manager element to being a catcher. And I was kind of thinking about it and I was like, you know, like, this might be like the last vestige of like emphasis of the human element positionally in baseball like you don't really need it as a shortstop you know you know you don't really need it as a corner outfielder but as a catcher you got to have all this information all this data information but you also got to be able to communicate and uh you know coach on the field you know be able to hype your guy up calm him down you know like there's a lot in there to it and it was one of those things where just that one sentence made me kind of realize how much there was still even in this analytic shift defensive metric era
1: yeah it's funny we're talking about catcher being the most analytical position and now we're going to talk about oh but don't worry about what analytics say about catchers
0: uh Al's rubbing off on us yeah (laughs) yeah exactly no I
1: think there's something I've taken away from AJ Hinch who's talked you know at length about the importance of having a strong presence behind the plate. Let's look at the numbers. Tucker Barnhart was worth 1.2 WAR this season per Fangraphs. Eric Haas was worth 1.0. Are you gonna really do we really believe that Tucker Barnard is not going to make an overall better impact on the team than Eric Haas? Look, I'm not trying to knock Eric Haas, but Tucker Barnard, again is a gold glove veteran catcher who knows what he's doing. He's not a he's not a fantastic hitter, but he's uh, a better hitter than Grayson Griner, I'd say he's probably going to be a more productive offensive player than, than even Jake Rogers would be for a full season, if we're talking one base percentage at least. And then you you look, unless you have Buster Posey or JT Real Muto or Salvador Perez, it's pretty rare to get more than about you know two wins above replacement from your catching position. It's a tough thing to do, given it's a position where offense is not still overly... Uh, valued. If you look at the analytics, they all say Barnard is a a strong defensive catcher. He's at least above average in every category. A lot of people say his blocking is about as good as it gets. He's a plus pitch framer, especially on the inside and outside parts of the plate. Like There are catching analytics that say Barnard's, Barnard's very good at what he does. And then there's this whole other realm where uh, I think he's probably even more valuable than this 1.2 wins above replacement or 4.3 career WAR would suggest. Um again, maybe I maybe I'm becoming less analytical the more time I spend around around the Detroit Tigers, but uh <laughs> but no, like I think it's I think it's I think it's real and look, there are catchers who can post a high WAR but aren't very good defenders. Is that is that great for your pitching staff? especially a young pitching staff like the Detroit Tigers? Uh, I I don't think so.
0: One more thing on him. Uh, Any concerns about him speaking in third person?
1: Uh, No, because number one, if it was like a Ricky Henderson third person, I would have loved it. I would have said, oh, this is absolutely (laughs) the guy they should have got. But he said, you know, I think the best version of Tucker Barnard um, is now and is to to come in the future or whatever. So it was just – you know, he didn't sound egotistical or anything when he was saying that. So I have no problem with it. But again, if he does it again, I think he needs to go all the way in and only refer to himself as Tucker Barnhart at all times. Because that'd be kind of awesome.
0: And if you're a little young and you're unaware of what exactly it means to talk about yourself in third person, Ricky Henderson style, just Google it. And and you'll be, you'll be entertained thoroughly. You'll not be disappointed. It's one of our better one of our more sure recommendations in the history of this podcast is that if you're not entertained oh, by Rick or he- Ricky Henderson talking about Ricky Henderson, uh, <laughs> y- y- then I-, I just think you have no sense of humor. I will say this, though, actually. I was thinking about with the age thing with him. Uh, I feel like if you're a catcher, like the longer you're doing it, I feel like that's sort of like studying for... The same type of test over and over and over again over the years and like i just feel like he's probably gonna have more answers the the longer he you know he catches you know i remember in tom brady's documentary he talked about why would i retire i know all the answers to the test now i know exactly what to do i know exactly what they're going to try to do to me and so it's never been easier at least you know with mentally than it ever has been i feel like you know there's something to be said about catching with that too
1: I think that's why he said he thinks the best version of Tucker Barnard is now. Early in his career, he was a below-average framer. He worked to improve that. In the last four years, he's been a good framer. Uh, he revamped his throwing motion. He went—he took the pitcher route and went to driveline and revamped his throwing motion a couple years ago. And at least in 2020, it resulted in a much better uh, you know, caught-stealing percentage. It was down a little bit in 2021, but still better than his, his previous years. So he's become better at those aspects of the game. I think game calling, like anyone probably has to get better with experience. That's such a difficult art. There's no real way to measure it, but I don't see how you could get worse at that. You know, you're only going to have better ways to study better ways to, um, pay attention to opposing hitters right now. You only have more information available at your hands. So yeah, defensively, uh, you know, I don't know. I didn't watch him every day five years ago. Does he still move around like he did when he won a gold club in 2017? I'm not sure. But I would say in a lot of ways, he's probably only gotten better, at least as a defensive catcher.
0: It's only one move. Um, it's it's a, it's a very well-received move uh, to begin the offseason. But I can't help but think, does this set the tone? Does this set the tone for, like, how... Al and his staff and, you know, AJ and whatever capacity he, you know, he's involved, which I'm sure is not light, uh, for how they're going to attack the offseason because they could have played the waiting game. They, you know, they could have hesitated on, you know, do we really want to do this and pay him that much money this year when we could maybe get X player for half or, you know, whatever, yeah, whatever. Uh, but they didn't. They were aggressive, they found their guy. they went and got their guy uh this kind of makes me think that there's at least one more quote unquote their guy that they're gonna be really aggressive with because uh this tells me that the budget's more open than it would then uh than maybe could be reasonably expected and now he's got the tools, he's got the young players coming up, he's got them him being Al. He's got the he's got the manager, he's got guys in the big leagues already improving. Uh this makes me think they're not done making a uh, a headline move.
1: Yeah, we'll see on this one. That's kind of what Al was getting at when he was talking about, well, our process is the same. We're not necessarily being more aggressive except for yeah, we are. Uh <laughs> but he went on to basically say like You know, if a deal gets done, it gets done, whether that's next week, whether that's months from now, the the timing with the Barnard thing made sense as something to do sooner rather than later. I don't think you can snap your fingers and sign Carlos Correa or Marcus Simeon or whoever uh, tomorrow. I I would not be shocked, though, if the Tigers are indeed being more aggressive than past years. Maybe one of the pitchers they target ends up being a, a, a relatively early signing. I don't know. I think the shortstop thing is gonna take longer to play out. The uncertainty with the CBA means no one knows what's going on. Uh, but I think you're right. I wouldn't be surprised if I get another text when I'm like, you know, either in bed or probably like hanging out in Stillwater, Oklahoma, where we will be returning in a couple of weeks. Probably like when I'm least ready is when the Tigers will will make another signing. I wouldn't be shocked if there's another move coming. You know, I'm not saying imminent tomorrow but but maybe a little earlier than normal perhaps
0: hey at least you know you weren't kicked off twitter for uh for this trade
1: Mm, that's true that's true unlike the trade deadline my twitter (laughs) account was up and working so a slight improvement i guess
0: (laughs) well uh it's also worth noting we got i guess somewhat of a medical update regarding jake rogers whom obviously we've mentioned him uh several times and this uh, catcher laden podcast, Al said that Jake texts him that he's crushing his rehab, which uh, is very much the verbiage I would expect a man that stubbornly keeps a <laughs> handlebar mustache uh, despite everyone telling him to shave it. And uh, I just, I, I just thought, also I thought that element was funny. It's like texting your boss, you're crushing whatever, like what your job is in the moment like you ever texted your editor being like yeah dude i'm totally crushing this feature right now crushing it you ever yeah, done that? Ab-
1: yeah absolutely not maybe that's <laughs> a sign that i don't have enough like confidence in myself But normally <laughs> i'd be like well this part's coming good but uh, well this part i'm really worried about and this and this um maybe it's different like being an athlete or like a like a physical task like i think you can more objectively like either you're crushing that or you're not but at the same time, it's a very one brand for Jake Rogers and the mustache. I hope this is true. I hope he's crushing rehab. I don't think that means he's going to be back next month. Um, <laughs> but, you know, maybe he's a little bit ahead of schedule. Maybe he thinks he can get himself one track to play, you know, toward the latter part of next year. In reality, we're not going to know until he's up and throwing a baseball, which isn't supposed to be until I think, you know, toward the start of spring training. But hey, if reports are good, then reports are good. And if Jake's feeling good about it, then uh, then that's good too. He could easily be down in spirits at this time as he's having to go through rehab. If he's taking the positive road and saying, hey, I'm crushing it, it's probably the mentality you want in a competitive athlete.
0: Well, there was another name this week that got uh, got some strong opinions on Tiger's Twitter. It was more of a... Don't even think about it. Don't get your hopes up type deal. Uh our boy, Nick Castellanos. Yes. Ops out of his contract in Cincinnati. Tucker seems pretty happy to be in Detroit. You know, could a could a, could a reunion happen? Could a, could a reunion happen? Nick Nick to Detroit? fills a need.
1: Alright, two two reactions come to this. Number one, my personal reaction. Hell yeah. Guess what the Tigers need? A right handed outfield bat. What makes more sense than Nick Castellano's coming off a tremendous year? Maybe it's time, maybe Kieran, maybe we should all embrace the spirit of forgiveness. Maybe we should make amends, build bridges, not hold hostility in our hearts toward one another. Maybe there could not be a better example. Maybe maybe the signing could happen around Christmas time if there's not a labor stoppage a great christmas lesson and nick castellanos and the tigers reunite and everyone is thrilled and happy uh that's personally what i would like to see happen in reality hell no it's not going to happen number one the tigers don't seem too interested in bolstering their outfield they are probably highly unlikely to bolster their outfield with a guy who is still not a very good defender and who oh yeah there's kind of you know left the organization on not the best of terms a couple years ago, a guy who also hit well enough in Cincinnati that he's probably going to be out of the range. They would be looking to spend on an outfielder, especially if they also want to sign a shortstop. So as much as I would love to see it happen, as much as I think it could warm everyone's hearts, as much as I think it could be a great Christmas miracle, I doubt we see Nick Castellanos return to Comerica Park I'm going to miss, I don't know if I'm going to miss interviewing Nick or not interviewing Nick. I think we've talked about before. It's like, a, it it's a whole experience unto itself. It's like, you better be ready to just have him stare at you. Like you're an idiot for about 10 minutes before going on to give you just some gold quote in the 11th minute, you know, <laughs> and then you have a great story. Nick's real. Like I respect Nick for that. Um, I love hearing him blast America park. But I doubt I'll be interviewing him in a Detroit Tigers jersey again.
0: Well, maybe, well, maybe one of his grievances with the Tigers uh, gets corrected, and that's uh, that's all I'll say about that. Maybe, maybe one of his grievances is corrected. It is a uh, you know, you know, it's a different manager. There's a, there's a different feel to the game. No need to weaponize old feelings. Uh, but you know, crazier things have happened. Crazier things have happened, although I would put the odds being low. But another former Tiger outfielder, right-hander, uh, Abysiel Garcia, has also opted out. I mean that that'd be a nice fit too.
1: Uh, maybe I don't think I I, I hate to say it. I don't think either of these things are going to happen. I have to pull up sales numbers off the top of my head. I kind of lost track of them this year in uh, in Milwaukee. All right, he's got the pop. Oh, okay, the one-base one, one base percentage. Uh, You know what? I think the Tigers need a right-handed outfield bat. They seem to disagree with me, so it probably won't happen for either of these two guys.
0: And as we've discussed, no Verlander reunion. So we're just not having reunions this year. Is that...
1: No reunions, you know, as much as, as reunions are nice, sometimes it's also uh, time to move on to new things and new avenues and, and, and let go of the
0: past. Yeah, yeah, certainly a lot of life lessons there. Uh, also, just some uh, housekeeping notes, uh, Willie Peralta, um, Julio Teran, Jose Arena, and Derek Holland uh, opted for free agency. Uh, I'm not surprised by any of those.
1: Yeah, they were. They didn't really opt for free agency. Their contracts were up. This is the day that they became free agents. Um, so again, no surprises there. I don't think we'll see any of them again return to Detroit unless it's on a minor league deal. I guess Willie Pralt is up in the air. He, if it's on the cheap, he could come back. I think maybe Holland on a minor league deal if he's not able to find a, an MLB deal elsewhere. But realistically, uh, those are all moves to be expected we'll probably see a couple other guys non-tendered here by the uh, de- December 1st deadline.
0: Now, uh, another thing you had written this week was sort of a continuation of a story you wrote during the pandemic. So if you're new to Cody's writing, you ought to go uh, find it. It's readily available. It's linked in his, uh, one of his most recent stories. Uh, Al Kaline's uh, estate, which is a fancy word for stuff is up for auction and uh you wrote about it there you know it's 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 out there in the news uh a lot of a lot of people have written about it and for what i gather seems like a lot of cool stuff I mean, it's like all these trophies and these uh you know just almost anything that like belonged to him it seems like uh what is available for uh for purchase so if any tigers fans are out there i guess uh that you can own a piece of Al K-Line history, but what your story really was about, because you had talked to uh, his oldest son, Mark, whom anyone who has listened to this podcast the whole year will remember that my dad, who was neighbors with the K-Lines, told a story of Mark injuring himself on the garage When they, you know, anyone, anyone's probably done this if they're young and reckless where you hit the button and then you try to beat the garage door closing, um, injured himself, not seriously, uh, but injured himself nonetheless. Uh, so now he's, uh, sort of the head of the family being the oldest son, you know? And, uh, I thought your story really kind of captured the father son element to, uh, to the K line story as it exists because they had to spend, The pandemic slash the past couple years sort of figuring out what to do with pieces of al's life that sort of not made him who he was but made him you know a household name and i thought it was really interesting that mark's going through all this stuff and he's like discovering things he didn't know or sort of re-remembering things as he kind of goes through like plaques and trophies and jackets and hats and you know, all the tickets and like all these things. And there was a nice little, I mean, obviously you can't do anything about it, you know, whenever it goes up for auctions, whenever it goes up for auction. But it was, I thought that was almost like a father's day story, honestly. Like it was, it, I thought it was very touching, especially, you know, considering how close of a relationship baseball has to uh, the father son dynamic.
1: Yeah. A while back I became really fascinated by this subject of what do athletes do with all their stuff as they get older or as what, is, what do their their uh heirs do with all this stuff when they when they die and I became fascinated in that subject because largely the uh the one real conversation I had with Al Kaline while he was still living and uh we were talking about the last night at Tiger Stadium and kind of got Al on the subject of just memories and things. And he talked about his his wife's seat that they still had. He talked about the number six that hung on the facade of the stadium. And he said, you know, I've been talking to my sons. We're thinking about da- downsizing. We're getting older. What are we going to do? And uh, one of Al's good friends is Brooks Robinson. Brooks Robinson, several years back, decided to auction off his estate, donate most of the proceeds to charity, um, while he and his wife are still, still living and they're, they're both still living, but kind of now his sons don't have to worry about all that. And, um, that led me to doing a big story during the pandemic, talking to several athletes and their families about what, what do you, what do you do? How do you handle this process? And it turns out taking things to auction is becoming probably the most popular method and on the surface that might sound a little cold like oh you're just going to sell this stuff you're just going to sell your dad's gold gloves but then i think if you if you think probably most of us in life either have been through this or will be will go through this one day when a loved one passes away what do you do with all this stuff you don't want to just throw things away but realistically you cannot keep everything so imagine if your parent or your grandparent was a world-famous Hall of Fame caliber athlete and all the stuff they would have and its value. And at a certain point, you have to ask, okay, do we really want to keep all 10 of these gold gloves? Well, what about this picture with Joe DiMaggio? What about this thing that was signed by Ted Williams? What do you, and once you keep one thing, like where do you draw the line? Or if it's an estate, all these things are worth a lot of money that can cause strife in some families. How do you divide who gets what piece of ultra-valuable memorabilia? There's no real way to do it, so the auction thing is becoming more common. Uh, something Al Kaline had decided he was uh, kind of the route he preferred while he he was still alive, and the family kind of waited until some time had passed. Called up Heritage uh, Heritage Auctions, excuse me, Heritage Auctions out of Dallas, and um, and now this stuff is going up for sale. It's a a pretty cool collection, but I still think the coolest part is the stories behind it. And some of the things Mark Kaline learned about his dad in the process, whether it was how much the the fact he actually made less the year he won the batting title than he did his rookie year, or you know the Tigers and some teammates took a trip to Japan one year, and Mark made it seem like he didn't even know about this until he found the program and the pictures. He said there were some things I confirmed, some things I that were a little different, some things I wish I could have talked to my dad about. So it was a, a very emotional um, process. Mark used the word journey a couple of times. Um, so it was it was kind of an honor to share Mark Kaline's story. And I think for Tigers fans out there, um, look, go look through some of this collection. It's not all crazy expensive gold gloves. You can get Al Kaline's golf bag or Al Kaline's passport or uh, Al Kaline's watches. And I'm, I'm not saying any of it's going to be super cheap, but you're someone who might like a memento from Al there there's some interesting stuff in this lot that's again what do you what do you keep and what do you not what do we do with Al Kaline's passport like I don't know throw it away but that's Al you know so there's some little things like that that you might not expect that are also in this lot
0: yep and uh you know both our fathers have have been on um this podcast and and your father had that that health scare not too long ago and you know, my father is 70. Next year he turns uh, 71. You know, so it there's there's lessons there from Mark. It's like you know, cher- <laughs> cherish cherish the moments and and uh, don't don't take any of that stuff for granted, even just the most basic of conversations. You know, and so uh, so yeah, I thought it was real touching. And you know, I I, th- I would like to think that even if like Al Kaline wasn't my father's hero. Um, I, I would have felt that element, but it it's def- it definitely hit me deeper because of that. So it's very interesting. Uh, you can you can find uh, some of the highlights in in, in Cody's story, and uh, and you know if even if you're not gonna buy anything, I think just checking it out. I think you just be I think you just have a good time seeing all this stuff because uh, as Cody said, there's there's a lot in there. It's not just it's not just the glamour stuff. It's just Alkaline the person stuff. So. Uh, we're gonna wrap up here. We're gonna save some bachelor party stories when there's not news to talk about. I think that was I think that was kind of the safe uh, the safe play, and perhaps even after we go back to our old college town, we'll have even more shenanigans that people will uh, people will find entertaining. So uh, it was important to note that Cody was very groggy having coming back from Vegas. I worked all this week after coming back. I, As you guys can hear, I still don't have my voice. Uh, and I got big bags under my eyes. I actually, I got ridiculed <laughs> on Tuesday for how slow I was and how dead I looked, you know. And uh, and so, it's all good fun. It was a great weekend. Nothing crazy happened. They wouldn't make a movie about it. But, uh, but it was fun. And we, we we have some anecdotes that, that we'll be able to share as the, the off-season kind of wanes a little bit with the said labor stock stoppage so i know you're on vacation i know you got things going on cody is there anything else you you wanted to plug
1: no not really i just think our listeners should uh hit up kieran congratulate him on his his bachelor party and his upcoming wedding he's actually been engaged for a while he does this thing where he like is very responsible (laughs) he and his fiancee and they, they plan things out take it slowly but you know Uh, So it's really kind of boring, but um, no, I, I applaud them for, for taking the responsible route. I also think you should hit up Kieran with some congratulations. And you know what, if there's a work stoppage in like December, we might just have some podcasts where we like tell old stories from college and see if any of our like old friends get upset or something If we, you know, I, I intimated last week, we might be running low on news. I was wrong. We got news this week, so uh, I might be wrong.
0: You, you always got to keep evergreen stuff in the chamber. I got a couple of stuff that I've been hanging on. I thought I was going to talk about this week, so I didn't want to pull you pull you off your vacation. But you know, too much news, and, and you were willing to come on. So that's you know, no days off even on vacation. No days
1: off. I literally have not taken a day <laughs> off, uh, even though I, well, I guess I took a day off to drive from Dallas to Amarillo. That was those real fun. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Time well time well worth it. Time well spent. So, all right. Well, we appreciate everybody listening. You can follow Cody Stavenhagen on Twitter. He is at Cody Stavenhagen. I am at Kieran underscore Steckley. Our pod page is at Turn Corner Pod. Please subscribe. Apple, Spotify. We'll get on all the other ones uh, eventually. That stuff's in the works. We got other things for next season in the works. Uh hope you guys will enjoy it. Thank you for listening, even during an off season when. You know, you might be out of the usual baseball news routine. Uh, We definitely appreciate everyone tuning in. So for Cody Stavenhagen, I'm Kieran Steckley. Thank you for listening.